Welcome to the Anti-Woke Podcast. Russia gonna rush. Israel gonna is. The question is, is Gaza gonna gaze? Let's call them historically marginalized minorities. Oh, you mean Asians? Hell no, I don't mean Asians. Was Latinx created by someone who read too many X-Men comic books in the 80s? Do you like women, or do you like vagina owners? And can you own someone else's vagina? What binary is that? A midwife practices midwifery. So does a tradwife practice tradwifery? Merry Christmas. May you rot in hell. Again, Merry Christmas. Now on with the show. There's not a lot of crime coverage in the mainstream media lately. I think, you know, Israel Hamas took over, but we're starting to get past that. I mean, the leading story has been weather. Some sort of storm is happening in the eastern half of America. That's been the leading story for maybe the last 10 days. And that's the default for NBC Nightly News is to lead with weather stuff unless they have something better. But there was some body cam footage of a black woman who got shot by a white female deputy. And this is in California. And so I think the black woman was being beaten up by her black boyfriend. So she was the one who called the cops. A pretty attractive black woman. You might go look this one up. But the cops show up to the door. It's locked. I think the woman's daughter opens the door. So the cops rush in. And the woman is close to the boyfriend. She's yelling at the boyfriend, and she has a big knife in her hand. And I think the deputy shoots her four times, and she's killed. And the NBC Nightly News narrator is like, shot in front of her daughter. Basically, this is a tragedy. I don't think we have a little George Floyd thing here. I mean, we don't know if seconds before the cops rush in, if the guy was actually beating the woman and then she picked up the knife to defend herself i mean basically if you call the cops probably be ready to at least put the knife down before they get there you know maybe seconds before they get there but before they get there and they're suing for 30 million i think the money goes to the daughter so whoever gets to raise that daughter gets 30 million dollars daughters dollars And there's another story that's been going around. I can't remember if it was on NBC Nightly News, which is normally I just limit my commentary to what is on that show. But a couple teenage girls from Paraguay got stabbed at Grand Central Station. And it was a black guy saying, I want to kill all whites. Now, Uruguay is an almost entirely white country. I think Paraguay is... I'm not sure. it's, It's not entirely white, but it's... Anyways, I imagine these girls were white. If he's screaming, I want to kill all whites. But they're also Hispanic, because I imagine they speak Spanish. And I think the black guy got charged with a hate crime, so that's unusual. You don't normally charge anyone with hate crimes if they attack whites because they're white. Because if you start doing that, it'll swamp all other types of hate crimes. Like currently, I think the the number one type of person who gets hate crimed is Jews and they're a tiny percentage 
of America. So it's, you know, the, the disparate proportion of hate crimes is really anti-Jewish. And then number two after that is anti-black hate crimes. And the reason why those are number one and number two is because they don't allow anti-white hate crimes to be called hate crimes. Because if they did, then every hate crime in America, you know, or the overwhelming majority of hate crimes in America would be anti-white, and then that would be, that would go against the narrative. That wouldn't look good. But the stabbing was kind of interesting because, so first off, it was girls from Paraguay, so, and they're teenagers, so you don't show the, you don't show the um, pictures of the victims because they're minors, and then you may rely on people reading Paraguay and thinking, oh, it must be, you know, brown people. And then the stabbers, the stabber, the stabber, his name was, he goes by Stephen Hutcherson, but his birth name is also Esteban Asona Asue. So basically different outlets would call him Stephen Hutcherson, or they call him Esteban Asue, and then sometimes they would mention that he was black, and sometimes they wouldn't, and sometimes they would mention the hate crime thing, and sometimes they wouldn't. And it's this thing, you know, like if I just tell you, uh, yesterday in America, a man stabbed a woman, then your mind just goes, oh, a white man stabbed a white woman, because that's the most common default American. And so, you know, different outlets just let you fill in various blanks or explicitly told you various things. So, you know, depending on which article you read, you got a different story out of it. If you're like, Esteban stabbed some girls from Paraguay and you don't mention that he was black or hate crime stuff, then you get a very different story other than, you know, Stephen Hutcherson, who was black, stabbed some teenage girls in Grand Central Station and got screaming stuff about white people and got charged with a hate crime. But basically, I think anti-white hate crimes someday are going to be charged as hate crimes, and maybe this is just a little data point on that five-year, 50-year, thousand-year journey. And one outlet that talked about the stabbing was the New York Times, and I went and read a few articles, or... I didn't read them, but I did control F. I did find in the page the word black. And a lot of articles did not mention it, but the New York Times were like, they called him Esteban, and they said, who is black? Did the stabbing. So maybe the rule where you only mention the race of a criminal if he's white might be breaking down. And then the other podcast, I mentioned that the New York Times has 6 million subscribers. But I, guess, I learned this week, I guess they have 10 million, and I don't know. Like, sometimes people only sign up for maybe the cooking and the... There's like the news part, the cooking part, the um, crossword part. So you, you maybe don't sign up for everything all at once. And so somehow the total is 10 million. But that's a lot of people. Um, and that's households maybe also. So that might be 20 to 40 million people in the households that subscribe to the New York Times. And that's relevant to the theory that the reason why the media got woke and everything that they say is a bunch of lies is because the consumer is, you know, signaling to them that's what they want. You know, they only click on articles that are anti-Trump. So then all of a sudden, 
they're only producing articles that are anti-Trump. And that kind of, you know, that that is a little not necessarily true because for our, you know, um, advertising, basically. Outlets that get their money from advertising, are they chasing clicks because people only want anti-Trump articles? That part I don't know, but it is more clear when you have subscribers that pay you every month. Like I think the New York Times, you know, they they know how to check their subscribers and count them up and see, oh, anti-Trump article, people stayed on the, you know, stayed on the page and scrolled down 10 times and read the whole thing, uh, you know, article that was impartial and gave a accurate representation of the world, oh, no one clicked on it, or they clicked away after two seconds. I don't know. I don't know if they can tell all that stuff. Anyways, you kind of get the idea. The thing is, is that if the New York Times gets too big, if they have too many subscribers, eventually they're going to have people who don't have Trump derangement syndrome as subscribers, which will then influence their coverage of stuff and may lead them towards being more truthful. Feminine Chaos is talking about the trad wife phenomenon. So trad stands for traditional, and this is a thing on TikTok. And basically, stay-at-home moms or just wives, you know, they're on the internet too. Being an influencer is going to skew younger, so I think a decent chunk of them are not moms yet, but they're making a household and getting ready for being a mom and their husband works and they don't. And a lot of them are middle class. I guess there's a famous one called, I think, Ballerina Farm, if, if this sounds good to you, where they inherited a bunch of money and the woman has eight kids or something and they've got a farm and that's all I know. Well, no, they get criticized by people on the left, hate trad wives, they hate that one in particular. And I guess what I would say is that it pisses people off, you know, kind of on the left, because what they don't like is evolution and genetics. There's a lot of stuff that comes to you from genetics past, you know, because of evolution that people don't like, and they make up stories about racism, sexism, phobia this and that and they're really just fighting fighting against the genetics caused by evolution and that fight started in the 60s and it you know is getting more and more with wokeness um but basically it gives you something to fight forever you know <laughs> fight genetics is a hard thing to fight it, it, it keeps genetics keep not going away so it gives you something to fight forever well until eventually science is like, sorry, that's genetics. You're fighting against genetics. And then I guess people will simmer down now. But until then, when you, when you say it's something else caused by the white man or whatever, the straight white man, you can keep fighting. When it's caused by the straight white man, you can fight that forever. Eventually, science is going to be like, sorry, that's genetics. And then people will have to see, you know, then they'll have to see what they really want to do. What do you really want to do? Do you really want to change things? And if you do, that's fine. But the first, if you want to change something, you got to understand what that thing is first. And I guess the, maybe the reasonable criticism of trad wifery 
Is it Wifery? You know, mid, a midwife is midwifery. She practices midwifery, I think. But anyways, what if your husband dies or he leaves you? Then staying at home and not having a career, that could be a problem. And if trad wives are like any other kind of influencer, then they're going to be good-looking and smart. So, you know, easy for good-looking smart women to say, if you're terrible at school and you live in the ghetto and the local drug dealer, you know, spent $100 on you and got you pregnant when you're 15, you know, it's a little easy to say, oh, well, just be a trad wife. I think the other thing that pisses people off is to make trad whiffery work, um, it's going to be disproportionately religious and in America, Christian. And then Blocked and Reported was talking about the Satanic Temple this week. And the Satanic Temple, what is that? TST. Um, they're a group of atheists who started an organization when, I don't know, like Christians will be like, we want to put a statue of the Ten Commandments in the courthouse steps or something. And then the Satanic Temple would be like, oh, well, okay, then we want to put our picture of Baphomet, or our statue of Baphomet right next to it. And because of the Establishment Clause, which is part of the Constitution, they call it that because it's the government will not establish a state religion or something. It has the word establish in there, so they call it the Establishment Clause. But basically, if you're going to put the Ten Commandments on the courthouse steps, then maybe you have to put some sort of satanic statue. And Baphomet is a, has, it's like a man chest, goat head, goat legs. And it's 10 feet tall. I think they just have one. It's like a 10 foot tall bronze statue. And there's a bunch of children looking up adoringly at the, you know, basically devil. It's made to be offensive as possible. And I think they just go around from state to state Anytime someone tries to put up some sort of other statue, then they like put it, try and get their statue put up. And from like the 60s or 70s, there's something called the Church of Satan, which is different. Or at least, it's a similar idea, but it's a different group. And I think both groups, you know, they're kind of like a cult. I don't know. They like, to, you know, like some man starts it and, yeah, we're all going to, we don't really believe in God or Satan, but you know, maybe we can all have an orgy. Like, I'm not sure, but I think maybe, like, the Black Panthers, you know, that African-American group from the 60s, it was almost all women. Like, you know, the, I don't know, the percentage of women of that group was high. It was all women, except it was men at the very top. And basically, the men just said, no women can be leaders, and we're going to have sex with all the women. Power corrupts, basically. But George Floyd, 2020, COVID, the Satanic Temple got caught up in wokeness. You know, it was atheists, so basically they're all left-wing people, and social justice came around, and this is what they were saying on the podcast, that, in or- you know, you can have your left-wing organization that's devoted to something other than social justice. You know, maybe, I don't know, they were talking about Greta Thunberg. She's the... What did she say? How dare you? How dare you? You know, she was a climate change. She is a climate change activist. Anyways, like she recently said that you can't have climate justice without Palestinian justice. So the idea is is that 
very, you know, social, just all the social justice things will infect your organization if your organization is normally devoted to just one aspect of social justice, like anti-religion. And then basically, you know, what's, what's coming pretty quick is transgender stuff. And then because that most transgender ideas are not true, there's going to be some people in the organization who are like, well, you know, norm, you know, I'm here for social justice, but I also only believe things that are true. And other people are like, that's racist against trans people. And then it just causes a giant blow up in the organization. And so that's what happened to the Satanic Temple, because the leader of it, he was just happy being an atheist, having sex with all the women. But they took a picture of him next to some other famous atheist who had said, whatever, don't groom kids. And I listened to Blockton Reporter for like an hour, and I never did fully under... They never said exactly what happened, but I think what happened was the leader of the Satanic Temple said... You can all fuck off. All, you know, all you people who think that being that supporting transgenderism means that you can control me and when I can have sex with all the women, you can all fuck off. And so the question is, are left-wing organizations that weren't all about turning the kids gay and then got taken over by people who want to turn the kids gay, are they going to go back to whatever it was they were doing before? And there's a clip going around, I guess, Twitter and TikTok about a basically what well, would be a normal woman. But because all women are genetically bisexual and then modern internet stuff tells them that, oh, no, you can choose 100 genders if you want. Anyway, she chose some sort of non-binary for herself, but she's married to a normal straight man. And she wants to say she's non-binary, so she's not a woman, which means that that makes him gay. But he won't say that. And that upsets her. And so she made a video about it, and I'm going to put in a clip. And, you know, I shouldn't enjoy someone else's pain, but it's just funny. Here it is. Hey, so we're having a real debate right here. I am non-binary. I am a non-binary woman. I have a vagina owner, and my husband tells me consistently that he is a cis man that likes vagina, and that's how he identifies, as a straight cis man. I find it offensive that my husband sees himself as straight when he's married to someone who is non-binary. I'm not a woman, so you're not straight. You're actually queer. And he won't acknowledge that. He won't give me the acceptance of, yes, I understand we are a queer marriage and I am inherently queer because I am attracted to all vagina owners, not just girls. He likes non-binary spectrum women non-binary people no gender that have a vagina he just likes vagina he just does not like penis so what he's saying is kind of an insult to the lgbt community honestly it is to me that he's not willing to accept our marriage is queer because i'm non-binary and i'm pansexual he would inherently be 
pansexual. Am I wrong? Because he likes anyone, not based on genitalia, but he likes them for who they are in the heart. And he likes vagina owners. So what is he? And is this offensive? Kwanzaa just happened. Kamala Harris tweeted out that she remembers fond memories of celebrating Kwanzaa as a child or I forget what she said. Anyway, something, something that was an obvious lie. No one ever celebrates Kwanzaa or not to my knowledge. I mean, black people are the most Christian of any demographic in America. They love Christmas. But I learned that kind of the symbol for Kwanzaa is a seven candle candelabra thing that looks exactly like a menorah, which is like the symbol for Hanukkah. And there is that song, Partridge in a Pear Tree, maybe Christmas. Does Christmas have candelabra stuff too? I don't know. It looks like Kwanzaa is trying to... Okay, here's, here was my question. Do the Hebrew Israelites celebrate Kwanzaa? And the answer was no. But the Hebrew Israelites, that's where black people say that Jews... That, they're, that black people are the real Jews. Like, you know, when you read in the Bible about Jesus and the apostles or whatever, like, that's all black people, because black people are the real Jews. And I don't know, I think, you know, all the, all the people you call Jews today should probably be put to death because they're a bunch of fake-ass Jews. And the Hebrew Israelites, they're a group of, well, black people who think they're Jews, but... I think they're popular in big cities, or, you know, they go on, they do protests and stuff in big cities. They do marching, they all wear the same outfits, maybe purple satin jackets, something like that. But I was like, I, I thought maybe, maybe that they were like, you know, Kwanzaa was their way of trying to shove aside the Jews and have their own menorah, but I guess not. Although, I bet it's not a coincidence. I bet, so, I bet whoever decided that Kwanzaa has a candelabra did not like Jews. Let's just put it that way. And I've mentioned, black people do not like Jews. And I looked it up. The question was, I mean, black people are not super fond of white people, for obvious reasons. Is, do they not like Jews just because they don't like white people? Or do they have an extra special dislike of Jews? And the answer is, they do have an extra special beyond just being white dislike of Jews. In Argentina, they elected a libertarian president recently, and they did a ban on gender-neutral talking in the military. It's like, you know, boy, we don't, we don't ever hear Latinx. Remember, remember Latinx? I used to bring up Latinx this and that uh, in this podcast. I feel like, I don't know, recently is a year ago, or at least two years ago. But you don't hear people talking about that much anymore. I don't know. It's kind of like George Floyd. Just don't talk about that stuff anymore. It didn't work out. The, the, the racial justice is not working out. <laughs> They're all going to vote for Trump. But anyways, white Americans came up with Latin X, basically using X, which, well, they do have X in Spanish. You know, dos equis is a kind of beer. But anyways, instead of Latino and Latina, you could say Latin X. And that would be inclusive to the non-binaries. But what I didn't know was whether or not other countries, Spanish-speaking countries, you know, south of the border, way south, uh, if they were getting woke, and the answer is they were getting woke. But they weren't doing the X. I mean, that's just 
I mean, that's just, you know, like X-Men. That's not, that sounds like someone who read too many X-Men comic books. I guess if you put me in charge of wokeness, it would have been Latinx. But anyways, in Argentina, instead of putting an O on the end as masculine and an A as feminine, they were doing an E. So I, and I don't know, I didn't, I haven't heard anyone say it out loud. So I think, you know, instead of Latino or Latina, I guess, I think it would be Latina. I mean, the letter A was already taken with the sound A. So I think letter E would be A. I think, I don't know. But like, Argentina is a very white country. So they have a lot of young white women who live in that country who want to get super woke. You know, they got, they got social media too. And so I think they were actually doing some sort of Latina thing there for a bit. I don't know how far it's going to go. The state of Maine is trying to keep Trump off of the primary ballot. So last week it was the Colorado Supreme Court said that Trump was part of an insurrection, so he can't run. And this week it was, it was some lady, a single lady in Maine who's high up, maybe the attorney general or secretary of state or something. And I think this week, California decided that Trump could run for president. So it's not every state. But I think this is exactly what Trump needs. He needs as many states as possible to interfere with the election. He needs the feds, as many federal agencies, etc., to interfere with the election. Just the more interference, the better for him. All except for the Supreme Court, where they can actually kick him off the ballot. And so... What's not all clear to me is, so the primary voting starts in a month or less. And I think the Colorado Supreme Court said Trump can't be on the ballot, but then they stayed their own decision. So it doesn't go into effect. Basically, the question, the question is, how fast does the Supreme Court jump on this and say Trump can be on everything? And I thought they were going to do it real quick, but now I'm hearing maybe they won't do it until after some of the primary voting, you know, like in between the primary voting and the general election. But even if you keep Trump off of, I don't know, half the states in the primary voting, he's still going to get the Republican nomination. So, like, here's the question of, you know, how partisan is the Supreme Court? If they really are in the bag for Trump, I mean, he appointed a bunch of them, then they will let things go. They will let things simmer as long as possible where he's kept off the primary ballots in a bunch of states. And then maybe kind of, you know, right before the election, a month or two before the election, they're like, oh no, he's okay. He can be on every ballot for the general. And then it will just, it'll make the general public go, wow, they really are stealing, rigging, interfering with these elections. Trump's enemies are. You know, giving someone extra rope with which to hang themselves. And I'm a 2010 liberal. Um, in 2000, when the Supreme Court stopped the recount and declared George W. Bush president, like, I was not happy. I, I'm still not happy about that. I don't think Republicans are real happy with <laughs> this George W. Bush presidency. And that whole thing kind of happened so fast that you didn't really have, you know, you didn't have time to go march in the streets, even if you were a street marching type of person. But NPR's Up First podcast that I listen to every day, like when the main lady said Trump can't run, they did not talk about that for very long. I don't think, you know, they hate Trump with a burning 
white passion, but I don't know. They're like, I think, you know, they didn't say this, but I think they're like, huh, I don't know if this is, if this is good. I don't know if this is going to backfire. I don't know. I don't know if uh, even we're that woke or whatever. Basically, like, this looks like election interference even to us, I think NPR said. So they're not crowing about it from the rooftops and talking about it every morning. And PBS NewsHour, another kind of mainstream left-wing outlet, they have a, every Friday, they have Brooks and Capehart, which is a supposedly right-wing guy and left-wing guy who discuss the week's news. And the right-wing guy was like, this is election interference. He was, and he's not very right-wing. He's certainly not a Trump supporter. So that was a pretty, a relatively full-throated, this is election interference out of him. And to hear that on PBS was interesting. And then Capehart, the other guy, he, you know, he had to say why it was maybe just fine to keep Trump off the ballot. I mean, anyways, he didn't. He had to say a lot of words. His position required a lot of words to try and explain why it was okay to keep Trump off the ballot. Whereas the other side was just like, oh, that's election interference. I can talk about it longer if you want, or there you go. <laughs> that's all you need to know. I think some left-wing people are having a are we the baddies kind of moment. There's some British TV show comedy where two guys you know it's like it's it's supposedly a couple of Nazis during World War II and they're like looking at their uniforms and it's covered in skulls and stuff like that and he's like one guy to the other one he's like you know I was looking at this skull on our uniform and this thing that we did I don't know to the Jews or what he's like I just had this thought are we the baddies it's a pretty good skit look it up are we the baddies on YouTube Trump did a funny Christmas tweet. I mean, he has his own version of Twitter, Truth Social, blah, blah, but I'm just going to read some of it. Merry Christmas to all, including crooked Joe Biden's only hope, deranged Jack Smith, the out-of-control lunatic who just hired outside attorneys fresh from the swamp, unprecedented, to help him with his poorly executed witch hunt. None are as evil and sick as the thugs we have inside our country who, with their open borders, inflation, Afghanistan surrender, green news scam, high taxes, no energy independence, woke military, Russia-Ukraine, Israel-Iran, all-electric car lunacy, and so much more, are looking to destroy our once great USA. May they rot in hell. Again, Merry Christmas. Let's run through the betting market on who will be president. And this is coming from predictit.org. You can go to that website and put money down on them if you want. And the way it works is you buy a chance to win a dollar. So for instance, number one right now is Donald Trump and it costs 40 cents to win a dollar. So you know, for 40 cents you can buy one chance at Donald Trump and then if he wins, you get a dollar. And if he loses, you don't get nothing. And you can also bet money the other direction. Like for 61 cents, you can bet that Donald Trump will not be president. And 40 cents plus 61 cents, that's a dollar one. So, you know, if you wanted to bet both directions, for a dollar one, you can. 
and you'd be guaranteed to win a dollar. For a dollar and one cent, you can be guaranteed to win a dollar because you can bet that he will and will not be president. And where does that extra penny go? Well, that goes to predictit.org. You know, money goes to the house every time, either way. So let's just go through the numbers. Uh, Trump, 40. Biden, 39. Nikki Haley, 12. Gavin Newsom, 9. Robert Kennedy Jr., 6. Ron DeSantis, 4. Kamala Harris, 4. Vivek Ramaswamy, 4. And so that's kind of like people think Ramaswamy has a 4% chance of winning. But, I mean, if you add up the numbers, it doesn't add up. All the people who might win cost more than a dollar. If you wanted to buy some stock in all those people, it would cost you more than a dollar. And then when whoever, whichever one of them won, you'd only get a dollar back. And I think what that means is that you would actually be kind of guaranteed to make money if you bet against everyone. Like, you're not going to make money if you bet money on each one of them winning. But if you bet some money on every one of them losing, then that would add up in a way that you would be guaranteed to win. Maybe, minus that one cent that gets taken out on all of them. And how can that be possible? It's because, you know, there's... Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't have a 4% chance of winning, but there's people out there willing to put money in. Like, they're, they're giving their money away. They love them so much, or they're just wrong, or whatever. They're, they're willing to give the money away. So that means that someone can go take that money. I mean, I like Vivek. He just ain't gonna win. And it doesn't matter how you win. Like, you know, maybe Trump chooses Vivek as his vice president, and then Trump has a heart attack, and then Vivek wins. I mean, if you win, you win. So, like, you know, that would count. Now, should you go get a double and triple mortgage on your house and Put all the money in betting against anyone winning. I mean, I wouldn't do that either because, you know, now you're betting that the feds don't shut predictit.org down and take everyone's money. Or World War III, you know, maybe you could enjoy that money before World War III happens. So if you're not going to win a ton of money, I mean, there's, anyways, there's risk outside of just betting on who's going to win. Maybe Biden will, like, really steal the election and no one wins. Who knows? got a couple of interactions on Spotify this week. Two weeks ago, I asked, what's pissing you off this week? And it looks like Spotify is just continuing to ask that question. That may be the question going forward, I guess. But Matt Rison said, this week, next week, every week, humanity's lack of common sense. Exasperating. Thanks, Matt, for the comment. Dan said, illegal migration. The people who are giving up our country and what our forefathers fought and died for. The people responsible for ruining our economy. People who they think they deserve a free ride. And he had a little picture of a train. Thank you, Dan, for the comment. So this may be the first week that the Ukraine-Russia war is more interesting than the Israel-Hamas war. In fact, this is the first week. And the Israel war is same old, same old. The only interesting thing this week is Israel's making noises about attacking Lebanon and Hezbollah. Like, people thought maybe Hezbollah was going to take advantage of the Hamas thing to attack Israel. It may turn out the other way around. Israel's like, we got Gaza under control enough, we can open a second front. 
And then the Russia-Ukraine war, last week I was saying that Russia was starting to move the lines forward just a little bit, and it was something to keep an eye on. Well, this week, uh, let's see, four things happened. So on the same day, Ukraine withdrew from Marinka, and Ukraine also blew up some big ship that Russia had. And there's a theory, you know, the, this war has become an information war, a PSYOP. And so when you're withdrawing from a town, you don't want to, for that to be big news, so that's why you blow up a ship on the same day. And Marinka is a town of 10,000. It's the biggest town that Russia has taken over since Bakhmut, which was, I don't know, months and months ago. Basically, if they hadn't blown up the ship, and then some other stuff I'll talk about, then the news would have been, oh, Russia got Marinka, and then it would have been like, oh, two weeks in a row, Russia is moving the lines forward. And I guess basically, if you're just watching the lines and whether or not they're moving forward, they are, and it's in Russia's favor. But the news is, Ukraine blew up this ship, and you might look up some footage of it. It's pretty phenomenal. The fireball is like, 10 stories tall, huge. And then after that ship got blown up, maybe two or three days later, Russia sent the most missiles it has ever sent into Ukraine all in one day. And it was drones and missiles, maybe artillery. It was, it was a mixture or, you know, all the, all the aerials, all the stuff that can fly through the air and kill people, they did it all in one day. No one knows. Like, you know, is this a tit for tat? You blow up the ship, now you send the missiles. We don't know, but... So this part is not for sure, but Russia may have sent $1 billion worth of missiles at Ukraine in that one day, which is a hell of a lot of missiles. They sent 90, I think they're called KH-101s. Anyways, a certain kind of cruise missile that they have. It's their fancy missile. And they cost $13 million each, and they sent 90 of them. So that was basically the billion dollars right there. And did that bombardment have any great effect? I mean, it killed maybe 20-something people. Which, you know, if, if, if you're one of those people, or one of those people is your friend, is terrible, but it's not a huge number. I mean, I think that number of people happens times 10 or something every day in Gaza. So then that was going to be the big news, right? So the big news was going to be Russia took a town. No, the big news is Ukraine blew up a ship. No, the big news is Russia sent a bunch of missiles into Ukraine. No, the biggest news is Ukraine sent a bunch of missiles into Russia and blew up one of Russia's cities. And so Ukraine must have used up some of their long-range missiles or... I think America kind of has a rule for Ukraine, don't attack inside of Russia. I think Russia is like, they attacked us inside of Russia, this is a war crime. Which makes no sense, you know, Russia gonna rush. I don't know why Russia thinks it's out of bounds for Ukraine to attack inside of Russia. I mean, America thinks it's out of bounds because we don't want to start World War III. And that's because it's American weapons being aimed by American spy satellites to hit stuff into Russia. So, you know, that part makes sense from our perspective. So right after I publish this podcast, something else big will probably happen. One theory on this all is when you have a negotiation over who gets to keep what, you want to negotiate from a 
good vantage point. Like basically, you want to do something good. You 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 know, Ukraine wants to really hit Russia hard and then say let's negotiate, and vice versa. Russia wants it to be like, look, we're about to take over your whole country. You better do what you know. You better give us what we want. And then when both sides are trying to get a good place to negotiate from, that just means both sides escalate. You know, do you both just escalate forever, and then you never do get you never do get to an end with the negotiations? Robert Wright, he's my guy, go-to guy for information on this, the Non-Zero podcast. He predicts that. He thinks this year there will be a ceasefire, you know, 2024. So we'll see. And then the New York Times, I think they ran an op-ed. I don't know if it was from the paper's voice or just someone. I don't know. There was some, some sort of writing in the New York Times where someone said, you know what, Ukraine should just say, Russia, the land that you have now, you get to keep that. <laughs> Let's stop the war now which is just not something that anyone would be allowed to say. It's not a viewpoint that would have been allowed in the New York Times just a little while ago. Something else to say about these wars as we go into our new year is look at the incentives. Like, Joe Biden has an election coming in November, so whatever he thinks will help him in that election, that's probably what he's going to do with those wars. And the leader of Israel doesn't like Joe Biden. So that, you know, that's Netanyahu. If he's still in charge in Israel in November, you know, maybe he would do something. And then finally, Zelensky in Ukraine. Let's just make up some numbers. Let's say Russia has a 90% chance of winning. So you might think, oh, well, Ukraine better settle with them. You know, you don't want to be the last man to die for a failed war. But Russia 90% win? That means Ukraine would have a 10% chance of winning. And Zelensky, currently, like, they don't, they've stopped holding elections. They don't allow the media to say anything that isn't rah-rah Ukraine. And more importantly, rah-rah Zelensky. So a very small chance of winning against Russia. You know, that Zelensky might be like, well, at least there's a chance. At least there's a chance that I get to stay in power. I mean, maybe. Anyways, that's just... That, well, that is the incentives. Whether or not that's how he takes it, I don't know. Maybe he's a super moral, upright guy. Zelensky's kind of funny because he was a comedian. I don't know if he was a stand-up comedian or just like a comedy actor like Tom Hanks or something. But he was he played the president of Ukraine in a sitcom on TV. And then he ran for the president of Ukraine and won. So, like, you know, did Ukraine... Elect Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond? Or Tim the Toolman Taylor who supports Trump? Or did they elect Bill Cosby? I posted something about Kobe Bryant, the famous basketball player on Facebook the other day. Someone I know posted a motivational poster. Had a picture of Kobe. I don't know if it was him talking or just words that could be associated with him about trying your best and never backing down. Basically, I have some friends, they're going through like a horrible divorce and they're doing it back and forth on Facebook. And when I put it like that, I really should stay out of it. But when Kobe Bryant is brought up, it just draws me in. So anyways, here's what I wrote. This is, this is just, I copied this from Wikipedia. When asked about bruises on the accuser's neck, 
Bryant admitted to, quote, strangling her during the encounter, stating that he held her, quote, from the back, quote, around her neck, that strangling during sex was his, quote, thing, and that he had a pattern of strangling a different sex partner, not his wife, during their recurring sexual encounters. When asked how hard he was holding on to her neck, Bryant stated, quote, my hands are strong, I don't know. Bryant stated that he assumed consent for sex because of the accuser's body language. Well, that's the end of the stuff from Wikipedia. And Kobe died young, and everyone just has positive feelings about him. They don't remember the pretty crazy rape that he did. I think that was a teenage white girl who worked at a hotel. And I don't know if, if he's like, are you 18? And she's like, oh, I'm 19. And he just started strangling the shit out of her. Or if he just got lucky. Or, you know, I mean, usually under 18 people probably aren't working at a hotel. But basically, I mean, yeah. Did he, ch- did he check her age? I bet he couldn't tell. He just got lucky. And then when he died in that helicopter crash that killed him and I think maybe a family member and then friends, you know, maybe a daughter or son and then friends of this daughter or son and the pilots. Anyways, I think he had gotten tired of having to go to Colorado to deal with his rape case. And it was, you know, getting stuck in traffic, etc. And so that's why he was flying on a helicopter all the time. Did I mention it was a teenage white girl? Maybe that's why people don't care. Well, I mean, he's a black icon. That's why people don't care. It's affirmative action for icons. You've got to lower your standards. A lady on the Blocked and Reported podcast used the term ostentatious empathy to describe wokeness. And I had heard, previously heard someone say that the reason why the Toyota Prius is ugly, I mean, especially back in the day, was because you wanted to show it off. You didn't want it to look like just any other car. You know, it was good for the environment. And so, you know, inst- ostentatious environmentalism. That was why you wanted a car that stood out and showed that you were a good person. I mean, now we just call all this stuff virtue signaling. And the core value, or maybe the, the number one way of showing that you're woke, is being racist against whites, in my opinion. And I was thinking about that like in a chain of uh, virtue signals that you can make when you're trying to be ostentatiously em- empathetic. You know, I guess you start by freeing the slaves. Then you're like, that's not enough. You got to give black people the right to vote. And then in the 60s, you know, equal rights for all. You got to treat them equally. And is there a line? And it goes from slavery to equal rights. Or is it a line that who knows what is worse than slavery and past slavery. And then it also continues past equal rights. In the other direction and you know and then the starting in the 60s and then the supreme court in the 70s they okayed affirmative action which is where you treat black people better than whites and then maybe that's fine because white americans are still racist back in the 60s especially in the south you know equal rights didn't change anything for blacks outside of the south because they already had equal rights there but you know six equal rights stuff that the feds did that was basically for the South, where they did not have the equal rights. I guess, yeah, so the 60s, black people finally got equal rights in the South, and then they got more than equal rights 
basically throughout the rest of the country. And the Supreme Court affirmative action case is 73, so you know, you get the time frame. And you treat black people better than whites officially, but it doesn't really mean that, you know, the average black person's life is better, that they're richer or something. So, you know, it's it's tricky. But America decides if it's treating black people well by comparing blacks to whites. I don't know if there's some other way of doing it, but you know, if your way of checking, if you're treating someone good is by comparing them to another group, well, one way is to help the group you're trying to help. The other way to do it is to hurt the group that they're being compared to. And that's equality versus equity. You know, equality, everyone has the same chance to live a good life. And then equity, it seems like, you know, start out, let's lift up the, the low people, the low pegs. And then pretty soon it's like, well, let's also hammer down some of the high pegs. But, you know, this is done by powerful white people. So, you know, they, they never actually hammer down the, the powerful white person peg. I was watching a YouTube video where they were talking about the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV show that came out last year. And they had, like, black elves and black dwarves for the, kind of like the first time ever. And people online were like, you know, in medieval Europe, they didn't have a lot of black people. And then from the Lord of the Rings movies, all the hobbits, all the, guy, all the actors who played the hobbits in the Lord of the Rings, they wore shirts that had a bunch of elf ears, like they had a sequence of cartoon elf ears, just the ears by himself on the t-shirt, and then the ears were in all different racial skin colors. And they're saying, you know, you know, hey, we should hire black people to be actors in Lord of the Rings. But my thought was, you know, easy for you to say, you guys all got your movie roles, you're in the three Lord of the Rings trilogies, you can, you know, if you, if you ever fall on hard times, you can go to fan conventions and sign autographs and make money for the rest of your life. So basically they're like, we got ours, you know, as far as the actor, the up and coming actors, you know, whatever, fuck over the white ones, we don't care. Or we want you to, actually, we, we want you to. I mean, just fuck over too strong a term. Maybe, but you know, they don't, they don't ever pick based on talent. They're not, they're not really saying, choose whoever's the most talented actor regardless of their race, because that doesn't ever work out the way they want. So anyways, they're like, take the more talented people and pass them over on purpose. Anyways, so wokeness has come around, you know, along with the internet, social media, smartphones. And it seems like, you know, how did you show you were a virtuous person in the old days? Maybe you took care of your mom or, you know, whatever, whatever. You were nice to people, but you did it within, you did it in real life, IRL. But with social media, you don't actually have to do anything. It's more just, you know, you show how good you are. You virtue signaled with your statements. So, you know, someone, someone in the early days of the internet was like, I love black people. And then someone else was like, I can, I can do better than that. I really love black people. And that probably went on for a little while. And then someone else was like, oh yeah, fuck white people. And people were like, ooh, whoa, yeah, you, you, you said it. Well, that was, that was amazing. Makes me think of this episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia TV show where one of the guys, you know, he's a real dirtbag, and he's trying to pick up on a girl at a pro-life rally. 
and he doesn't care about abortion. He's just willing to do anything to get into this girl's pants. And so he writes up a list of the names of abortion doctors and he gets it so that she notices that he has this list of names on a piece of paper. And then she goes, hey, some of those names are crossed out. And he gives her kind of a knowing, sly look and is like, mm-hmm. And, you know, she can't take off her clothes fast enough to jump into bed with him. I was consistently doing a box office movie update each week. I think I've forgotten a little bit lately. Disney doesn't have any movies out right now, which takes away some of the anti-woke perspective. And normally you look at the box office on Sunday night because that gives you the weekend. But during the holidays... Like people go to Christmas, or sorry, go to the movies on Christmas Day and the day after Christmas. So it kind of changes what's important, what days are. So, anyways, Wonka is at about 140 million, which might be enough for it to get a sequel. I don't know how woke it is. It's probably somewhat woke, but it's not making headlines. The sidekick is a black girl, which. Normally, I mean, who cares? But the thing to say about that, it's this, it's this weird thing, because it's basically like a British movie. I think everyone is British in it. And so you would think that Britain would be trying to help their disadvantaged minority, which would, I think, be Pakistani people. But I, I think I think as reparations because of slavery in America, and America just has the pop culture that infects the whole world, Anyways, they, they, may, they make up for past misdeeds by putting black people into the British movies. They may have to double up on the amount of Pakistani people in their movies at some point to make up for the fact that they did whatever it was they did to Pakistan, plus the fact that they didn't put Pakistani people in the movies because they were putting black people in the movies. And Aquaman 2 is a huge flop, so it's not a Marvel comic book hero movie but comic book hero movies in general are doing poorly it may be getting caught up yeah i don't know like our superhero movies do they get caught up in the marvel disney thing and now they're all screwed that might be what's going on there and aquaman that's the dc instead of marvel you know superman batman wonder woman and they just had the hispanic blue beetle movie flop they had the Flash movie with a Hispanic Supergirl flop. And then Aquaman, Jason Momoa, the first movie did a billion. Anyways, that is that is a race swapping. If you remember from the cartoon, he's supposed to be blonde. But I don't think I don't think that's what's causing the flopping. Basically, they got woke and no one noticed. And they're flopping, and people are not noticing that either. And they're in the middle of rebooting that whole thing. And are they gonna stop being woke? We don't know. I think the only DC superhero movie this year is Joker 2, which has Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn. So they they had their chance to race swap Harley Quinn and they did not take it. I'm going to make a prediction here. The next big Harley Quinn, you know, Margot Robbie was the first Harley Quinn. Now we got Lady Gaga. I bet the next big one will be race swapped. And The Color Purple came out on Christmas. I think it has about $45 million so far. It cost $100 million. I don't know if it's considered a flop. Color Purple is a black movie. I think when I was like 12 years old, I read the Color Purple book. Very good book. 
And what I watch is, you know, how do black American movies do overseas, but The Color Purple doesn't come out for a month in other countries. I don't think it's going to do well. I mean, it's going to be an economic flop, but I don't know, like, you know, all the people who review movies on YouTube that I watch, they all love The Color Purple. And you can't tell. You're like, do they love it because it's a good movie? Or do they love it because I mean, what else are you going to say? And at least on that first day, it was 67% of the audience was black, which is, I think that's the highest black percentage I've ever seen for a movie. It may be the highest ever for a wide release movie since they've been keeping track of that kind of thing. And Asians definitely did not go and see it. Recent episode of Trigonometry podcast had Richard Hanania on, and he was talking about disparate impact. So let's talk about it so I can try and get it straight in my own mind. So disparate impact, I mean, sometimes you hear people say that, but it's also a legal thing. And it's kind of like affirmative action. It comes from the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It also comes from the courts in the 60s and 70s. Both of those things are the same with affirmative action. Usually when you hear disparate impact, people are not talking a legal thing. It's usually talking about putting criminals in prison. If you put murderers in prison, that's going to have a disparate impact on black people. Actually, people don't want to talk about murder. That one's kind of cut and dry. Everyone agrees on what should happen with murderers. So, you know, like shoplifters. The state of Washington had some laws about riding your bicycle. And, you know, Washington is a white-ass state. Doesn't have barely any black people anyways. Whatever, whatever was illegal, the illegal thing you could do with your bicycle, for some reason, in the state of Washington, which is all white people, still, the bicycle-riding criminals were black. And that was a disparate impact if you enforce those rules. I think the rules were related to trying to stop people from getting hit by cars, like going around in all black in the middle of the night or something. But so affirmative action is all about giving unqualified minorities, you know, a leg up. You know, usually you talk about it with college, but it, it uh, well, yeah, usually happens with college. So basically just change the rules for unqualified people if they're minorities so that you can get more minorities, the, the right kind of minority, obviously not Asians, into college. But basically it's helping certain minorities. I mean, <laughs> it's obviously black people, but you know they'll talk about it as if it's, I don't know. They'll use euphemisms, disadvantaged minorities, historically marginalized minorities. Oh, you mean Asians? Fuck no, I don't mean Asians. But so affirmative action is supposedly helping black people. Disparate impact is it's not helping black people. It's the thing where you hurt white people. Like affirmative action is putting unqualified people in. Disparate impact is keeping qualified people out. And it comes from a 1971 court case, Supreme Court, Griggs versus Duke Power. And I've talked about it before because... It's the case that says you can't give IQ tests to people that you're hiring. And I guess, but it turns out it's, it's not just that. It's a much more broad thing. It's disparate impact. And I think maybe the IQ tests are actually 
for promotions, maybe hiring, maybe promotions. It was a mixture. But basically, so Duke Power was a electric company in North Carolina in the 70s. I think they're still around. And they would give this IQ test before they would hire people or promote people. And 58% of whites could pass it and 6% of blacks could pass it. So 10 to 1. And I think the school system in North Carolina in the 70s, I mean, you know, these would be adults, so they would have gone to school, maybe even under Jim Crow. Anyways, you know, black people had gotten screwed over previously, and so they're like, you know, doing an IQ test when the schools for black people have been terrible, that ain't fair. So they said, you can't do that anymore. And the Supreme Court, they could have done disparate treatment, but instead they did disparate impact. Disparate treatment is discriminating on purpose. But I don't think Duke Power was discriminating on purpose. They just wanted smart workers. Um, so anyway, so the Supreme Court came up with disparate impact. Like, I don't care if you're doing this not for racist reasons. If it affects black people, you know, more in a disparate way, a different way. What's disparate mean? Disproportionately. Uh, then that's illegal. And so the 1964 Civil Rights Act, plus that 71 Griggs versus Duke Power, there's been a bunch of little court cases ever since, and so it's been applied to everything. You know, lending, housing, you name it. And the Supreme Court, in that case, they said that you have to have a legitimate business reason to do what you're doing if it causes a disparate impact. And it has to be directly related to the job. So just doing an IQ test because it gets you much better workers, that's not enough. It has to be directly related to the job. And I think that's just determined on a case-by-case, court-case basis. And people bring up the example like, you can't require that people be able to lift 100 pounds because that would leave women out of the job pool. So, I mean, there must be jobs that require lifting 100 pounds. You're like, okay, this job, all it is, is lifting 100 pounds all day long. But then somehow you can't just say, well, you need to be able to lift 100 pounds because that would be a disparate impact on women. So, I'm not sure. And so, proving that you are not making your requirements for racist reasons, that doesn't matter. If you go to court, you got to prove that it's for directly related to the job and you can bring a court case against an employer but i think mostly the way that disparate impact is used is all the federal agencies have really fallen in love with making up disparate impact rules and enforcing them on all sorts of stuff so that's that's what's going on in america and courts have specifically ruled that disparate impact cannot be applied to white males because Obviously, all the disparate impact rules are designed specifically to hurt white males, which would be a disparate impact on white males. And so, if you apply disparate impact to white males, then that would defeat the purpose of it. And so, like I said, you know, they ended affirmative action. That stops the thumb on the scales in colleges. And I've talked about, well, maybe they'll do it to, uh, you know, for employment. 
and so that's what it is it's the disparate impact case law that would have to be overturned for employment and that may be coming soon and i was watching a video on youtube uh, if you look for like disparate impact federalist society there's like a two hour long video on it i didn't watch it all but they go into a lot of examples of where basically discriminating against various people gets tricky like there's a there was a case where landlords were being forced to fix up their rat infested apartments because black people lived in the apartments but then and that was a disparate impact but then the owners of the apartments were black so making them pay money to fix the apartments was a disparate impact and so you know which one do you choose when you're you're jumping and the government's jumping in the middle who do they choose and they were mentioning, I guess, like, you know, like Chinese Americans do great, and then Cambodian Americans do terrible. So if you do an Asian thing, you know, like, hey, let's help all the Asians. It's like, oh, you just helped a bunch of rich Chinese. Or, you know, well, we need to hurt the Asians. Oh, you just helped a bunch of poor Cambodians. And I guess Cubans do really good, and then other certain kinds of Hispanics do poorly. So it's tricky. I mean, you know, the way to solve it all is just no discrimination, period. That would be, I think, you know, I mean, America used to be racist with slavery and whatnot. So, but anyways, that time has passed, in my opinion. And so, like I was saying, this comes from the Supreme Court and lower courts, but it also comes from the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So I decided to go learn about that. Like what I know about it offhand before I look stuff up was Title IX is the thing for women's sports in college and somewhere in the civil rights act it says don't discriminate on the basis of race which everyone ignores and discriminates against white people and then there's this thing where colleges set up kangaroo courts and make you make the men automatically guilty if there's an accusation of sexual assault on campus and i thought that was part of title nine but it's not anyways let's go through the titles just real quick so Title I is voting rights. I think that comes up with gerrymandering. Number two is public accommodations. So I guess housing. Three is desegregation of public facilities. Four is school desegregation. I think we all heard of that one. Five is commission on civil rights. Never heard of it. Six is non-discrimination in federally assisted programs. Okay, so six is the kangaroo court where men are automatically guilty of rape in college. We haven't got to nine yet. But anyways, anytime the federal government gives money to something, then, th then that something or other has to follow the Civil Rights Act. And the federal government gives money to every university in America, which then gives the federal government control or whatever. It just means the Civil Rights Act applies to every university in America. And so that's, that's number six, and men are automatically guilty. I'm sure it does lots of other things. I think that also does um, contracting. You know, like when the federal government is hiring contractors to build a bridge or whatever, then they can put lots of rules on the company. Well, the company just has to follow the Civil Rights Act. Seven is equal employment opportunity. So that's the one for disparate impact. 
eight is registration and voting statistics. Don't know anything about it. Nine, intervention and removal of cases. So I don't know why that's the thing about women's sports in college. Let's read a little bit more about that one. Title IX outlines procedures for the intervention and removal of cases related to civil rights violations. All right. No clue why that applies to women in sports in colleges, but that's the one there. And then 10, community relations service. Don't know anything about that. All right, let's just go through them all real quick once again to try and make them stick in my head. One, voting rights. Two, public accommodations. Three, desegregation of public facilities. Four, school desegregation. Five, commission on civil rights. Six, non-discrimination in federally assisted programs. Seven, equal employment opportunity. Eight, registration and voting statistics. Nine, intervention and removal of cases. 10, community relations service. You know what? Title IX is from something else. There's something, there's some other law that has, I guess, at least nine titles, and that's the women's sports Title IX one. I guess titles is a good way to break down laws into subsections. Here's a short old episode that came from May 21. So I want to do a podcast about some interesting stats and facts, and I'll start with a little story. Most of this will be political, but not this one. A few years ago, I was watching a Geico commercial, and they say, you know, 15 minutes can save you 15% off your car insurance. And I was like, I'd like to save 15% off my car insurance. So I went online and, you know, just to get a quote. And I'll tell you what, the first thing is they're not joking about the 15 minutes. Like, you know, you should just be able to put in your age, your zip code, you know, you want full coverage, comp and collision, or just liability, and they could just they could give you the answer right then and you would know if they're cheaper or not, but they don't do that. They make you go through 15 minutes of filling out forms. I'm sure they do that because Sometimes when people get that far into it, they probably just keep going even when they don't save money. But if you listen to their commercials carefully, what they say is, of the people who switched to GEICO, they saved an average of $150. And so I imagine now that I've triggered you into being skeptical of this stuff, you noticed. It's the part where they say, of the people who switched to GEICO. I'm going to make an exaggerated example to illustrate the point. So say a thousand people watch that commercial and they go and they fill out the form and 999 of them get a result that is more, costs more than the insurance they currently have. And then one of those people gets a quote that's $150 less than whatever they're currently paying. Well then, 999 people do not switch over, and the one person who's going to save 150 bucks switches over. So there's two ways you could, you know, you could phrase it. You could say, of the people who switched, they saved an average of $150, because that's that one person. Or you could say, 999 out of 1,000 people would not save money if, if they switched to GEICO. Which goes along with that famous quote. I think it's attributed to Mark Twain, but it ain't from him, which is, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. And just to finish up with the car insurance thing, it turns out that every car insurance company has like different rates in different states. 
So, you know, Geico might save you $150 in California, and it might be the most expensive one in New York. It just depends on your state, and obviously they don't tell you in the commercials which one is good. And all the companies, all, all state, State Farm, they all say stuff about, oh, people who switch save this much money. That's because if you happen to be in the right state, you might save money. Maybe you moved, you know, maybe you moved states and you have your old insurance company still. And now you moved to a state where it's a different one. It's cheaper. And then one other thing, when I was getting into, you know, I was researching this after I got a quote that was more than I was paying, is that there's only one insurance company that's better than the rest of them. Like they all have, you know, not Yelp, but you can go find reviews of insurance companies. They all get terrible reviews. You know, they don't want to pay you when they owe you money and... You know, they put you on hold. Anyway, you know, you know what, you know the treatment they give you. There's only one insurance company that treats you better than the others, and it's USAA. But unfortunately, that one is limited to members of the armed services. Like, it's, it's for veterans. Basically, it's for veterans or current military personnel. And I think sometimes if your parent is a veteran, you can get on it also. So... You know, if you if you're using some other insurance company and your dad's a veteran, try and get him to sign up for USAA, and he might be able to get you on, or your mom. Okay, so this podcast, I'm gonna just when I think of an interesting stat, I'm just gonna make a little segment and add it on to what you just heard here, and then we'll see see how many little segments I can add to it, and then I'll release it. All right, so here's some interesting uh, facts and/or stats that you may not know. So if you listen to my podcast, you know that every race is killed proportional, killed by police proportional to the amount of violent crime that they commit. But let's talk about the wealth gap. And it relates, it relates back to that first thing, which is that the average age for black people is 28, and the average age for white people, this is in the U.S., is 38. So 28 and 38. So, you know, I'll just ask myself, was I doing was I being was I doing stupid stuff when I was 28 or you know let's say from 20 to 28 that's when I was doing the stupidest stuff I ever done in my life stuff that was not good for me wasn't probably that great for the people around me it was stupid but you know by the age of 30 to 38 I gotten over most of that counterproductive stuff and I become an adult you know I mean you're an adult at 18 but it doesn't mean you're not stupid and doing stupid stuff. So doing stupid stuff will get you involved with the police. I think for me, I had maybe five encounters with the police in my life, and they're pretty much all from like about 18 to 28. And it wasn't like, I'm not a violent criminal, you know, it'd be like getting pulled over for a bad taillight, I think that was one of them. Uh, Like the only one that wasn't a traffic-related thing that I was basically uh, innocent of was I got minor possession when I was 18 years old, minor possession of alcohol. I was at a party, the party got busted. But so anyways, one of the times was uh, I was in a car accident and the cop and my car was undrivable afterwards. The cop gave me a ride home. I mean, he gave me a probably a 20, yeah, 20 minute ride home. It was a long dirt road, and anyways, that was a very nice guy. But I guess my point is, is that since the age of 28, I have not had a single interaction 
with a police officer, good or bad. And that's how you want to keep it. So to compare, you know, when you're comparing two races and their interactions with the police, you're actually comparing two age groups and their interactions with the police. And so you know how that goes. And so the second part is the wealth gap. Now there is a huge wealth gap. It's kind of crazy. There's a lot, there's a lot to it. Maybe I'll do a podcast on it sometime. But anyways, the first thing that people should know about the black-white wealth gap is that the average black person is 28 and the average white person is 38. And so just imagine how much richer you, or maybe, or at least if it ain't you, most people are when they're 38 versus 28. I mean, it's just, you've had a decade of working in your job and you know, paying your paying your mortgage, you know, not your, most people's wealth is in their house. So you got 10 more years of paying into your mortgage, and that's where your wealth comes from. And I'm not saying that the wealth gap is a fraud or that, you know, there's problems. There's problems that are not caused by black people. It's, you know, it's systemic or it's maybe left over from the system. You know, they got, there's things that are left over from a system of years years gone by. But anyways, no matter what you're no matter what you're saying it saying or attributing it to, the first thing you have to acknowledge is that the ages are completely different. So, you know, you got to account for that. If you're just saying black people versus white people, that is not a fair comparison because now you're saying young people versus old people basically. Actually, I will go a little bit more into that one, the wealth gap. So, I mean this ain't fair. This ain't fair. I I believe in fairness and this ain't fair, but a lot of the wealth that white people have is like they were old enough and they had the, you know, they had a good enough, whatever education or work ethic or, you know, whatever it is, you cut, you know, a good family structure or a good neighborhood. Anyways, they had a lot of stuff that black people didn't have. And the important thing is, is they had it like in the eighties and you go, you know, the eighties and earlier, you could be a gas station attendant and buy a house. You know, if you if you somehow did that, and now you're you know now you're an old person living in a house, if you bought it in the right area, you know, like Brooklyn or Portland, Oregon or L.A., I mean, you're sitting on you could be sitting on a million dollar house now that cost you know maybe twenty five grand back then. And so it's not fair, but basically, white people were kind of they were the right age. I mean, they also had a better family structure, but they were they were the right age and in the right places in the 80s and it's just you know to uh you know you can buy a house in manhattan now and it will double in value maybe but uh you can't get into that without being some sort of ivy league thing now anyways basically there was a time there was a time to be uh just slightly upper middle class and that was the 70s and the 80s and that was the time that unfortunately black people kind of got passed over because of previous uh you know previous things of the system so I want to talk about the gender wage gap for a second. So I'm going on Wikipedia. I'll just read. In the United States, the non-adjusted average female's annual salary is 79% of the average male salary, whereas it's 95% for the adjusted average salary. And so that's like, you know, if you work the same amount of hours, if you have the same experience... So, you know, people who want to hype the gap will quote the 79% one because women, you know, 
they work less hours, you know, to start with. There's a bunch of differences, but the first thing is, like, they work less hours. So they got 79% of the money that men make, whereas you take it and do all the stuff into account, like, you know, well, if you, you know, if if you if we compared apples to apples, like a man that works 40 hours a week and a woman that works 40 hours a week and all the other stuff, then you get women to make 95% of it. But now why isn't it 100% of it? Because I believe... When you look at, like, young women, you know, out of Ivy League colleges going into highfalutin careers, women actually make more money to start out with. But then after a while, you know, 20 years later, oh, they're making less. And basically the reason is, um, you know, who raises the children? Who raises the children? The answer is the women do it. And I don't, I don't really hear women calling for, you know... I want the husband, you know, they give birth and they're like, okay, the husband's going to stay home and I'm getting the heck out of there. No, you know, you're, you're attached to your baby when you're a woman. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with that. But I just want to, uh, list some of the majors in college that men or women gravitate to. Okay. So these are majors that men make up 85 to 93% of the people in that major. And it's like construction management, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, aerospace engineering, civil engineering, computer science. You get the idea. And those are all high-paying jobs. You know, like, why do you go into that? Well, maybe you enjoy it. And, you know, who doesn't enjoy money? So two, two things are, are good about those. People actually do enjoy those jobs. I don't know if they, they don't enjoy going to college for physics or math. But once you get your job and you don't have to learn it, you just have to use what you learned in college, you get very, very high um, job satisfaction. Okay, now some majors for women. This is uh, women are make up 83 to 95% of the people in these majors. Um, art, history, French. I didn't even know that, you know, why would you get a... Why would you get a degree in French? I have no idea. Anyways, women are 84% of people getting a degree in French. I hope those other 16% are trans or something. Uh, now, occupational therapy, that's a good job. Nursing, that's a good job. Social work, not not that good a job. I don't think they enjoy it that much and doesn't pay that well. And then we're getting, here's the, here's the top three that their women are into. Elementary education. Uh, interior design and fashion design. I mean, those are just whatever. You know, interior design. If you marry a rich person, then you get to design your house, and your degree finally comes into play. Anyways, almost all of those don't don't pay nothing, except for occupational therapy and nursing. And what's funny is French actually pays more than interior design. But anyways, these choices. These are not. Uh, forced by society. This is not racist. Oh, I mean sexist stuff. This is just men and women are different. Our brains are wired slightly differently and we make different choices. Like if you ask me, do I want to be a first grade teacher and be put in charge of 20 super cute little first graders? The answer is heck no I don't. Keep them, keep those cute little buggers as far away from me as possible. You know, as long as they're over 30 feet away from me, I can 
enjoy how they're cute or maybe a still picture of them but uh, do not let them around me they're gonna drive me up the wall whereas I think a lot of women would have a totally different opinion they'd be like oh I want to interact with these cute little buggers fine and then imagine like chemical engineering like chemical engineering is one of the ways to really make a lot of money because you can go work for the petroleum in petroleum industry so, you know, like, if you ask me, like, hey, do you want to be a chemical engineer and, like, you know, get flown on a helicopter to some no-man's land in Iceland and then have a machine that, like, simulates earthquakes while you try and find uh, the oil that's under the ground and you're stuck there in six-foot snow? I'm like, that sounds awesome. Anyways, some men and women are just different. Now, here's a fun fact. Uh, if you want to convert from, you know, how much you make per hour into how much you make per year, you multiply it by 2,000. And what I really do in my mind is I, multi I, 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 I times it by 2, and then after that I times it by 1,000. So, like, say you make $10 an hour. Well, you times that by 2, so that's 20. And then you times it by a thousand, so that's twenty thousand. So if you make ten dollars an hour, you will make twenty thousand dollars a year. And you know, let's pick a random number. Say you make sixteen dollars an hour. Well, times it by two, that's thirty-two. Times it by a thousand, thirty-two thousand dollars. So if you make sixteen dollars an hour, you make thirty-two thousand dollars per year. And you can also kind of do it the other direction, like. Say, you know, say you're salaried, so you don't work 40 hours a week or whatever, you work more. But say you're salaried and you make, I don't know, $80,000 a year. What we can do is, to go the other direction, is you divide it by two, so 80000 becomes 40000 then you just remove the 1000 so it becomes forty. So if you make $80,000 a year, that's like you make $40 an hour if you work 40 hours a week. So, you know, you always got to know all this stuff is based on 40 hours a week. The reason why it works is because 40 hours a week times 52 weeks drop off two weeks for vacation. So you get 40 times 50, that's 2,000. But it's pretty easy, you know. So if someone at McDonald's is making 750 an hour, well, that's 15,000. If uh, some, you know, if some CNA is making $12 an hour, well, that's 24,000, right? You can just do that in your head super easy. And it's pretty handy. Well, there's one on race and there's one on gender, so figured I'd do one on race and transgender. Why not? So, a year or two ago when the Democrats were uh, going for the nomination, CNN had like a LGBTQ plus town hall. A couple strange things happened there. One of them was a, a nine-year-old trans boy, so born a biological woman, sorry, girl, dressing as a boy, nine years old, was like, what are you going to do to help trans people? And uh, Elizabeth Warren was like, I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you vet my education secretary. So this nine-year-old, if she had won, apparently, if Elizabeth Warren had won, then this nine-year-old could have said thumbs up or thumbs down to whatever secretary, education secretary, that Elizabeth Warren chose. I mean, probably wasn't going to happen, but that's what Warren said.
but the other thing that happened there, there was a black trans woman. So that's born a biological man, dresses like a woman. Um, she kind of like grabbed the mic and was just like strutting around and just took over the whole show for quite a while. And she was, you know, I don't know, minutes, but I mean, she took over the whole show. Check it out sometime. And uh, she was like, trans people are being murder murdered. I think she's saying black trans women are being murdered. What are you going to do? And she really, whatever. She harped on it for quite a while. Anyways, this is a YouTube channel called Nuance Bro. Other people did the math on this, but if you want to see the math, Nuance Bro did a did a video on it where he really, really went into the math. But long story short, um, black trans women are killed or murdered at the same rate as black men, you know, of the same age. So basically, they're killed. They're not, they're not killed any more or any less than they would have been if they hadn't been transgender. They're just killed at the same rate as young black men are, or whatever, black men are, which is, you know, which is higher than average for than other groups. It's the, high, it's the highest group. But anyways, there you go. If anyone ever tells you that black transgender women are being murdered, well, they are, but not any more than you would expect. Okay, so that's black trans women. Uh, a fact about trans men. I mentioned it in another podcast. This comes from a blocked and reported po podcast where they talk to a person who transitioned into a man and then transitioned back into a woman. Anyway, so the person was a lesbian. And they were saying that when you take a bunch of testosterone as you're transitioning into a man, becoming a trans man... Um, it's not uncommon to take an interest in straight men. So basically, you're a lesbian your whole life. You never wanted to have sex with a straight man. You get hopped up on testosterone. And all of a sudden, you get a hankering for some straight man sex. And then some people, you know, maybe if you... I guess if you never stop taking testosterone, maybe you just... Who knows what you do. But in her case, she... Uh, you know, she stopped taking the testosterone and just went back to being a normal lesbian. And then she looks back on that period of time when she was on testosterone and was like, that's gross. Like, why would, you know, I'm a lesbian. Why the heck would I have, you know, it's almost like her having gay sex or gay gay sex. Anyways, so that's the interesting thing about uh, trans men and lesbians. So let's talk about lesbians a little bit. If you know a lot of lesbians, this may sound true to you. It, sound, it sounded true to me. Anyways, Brett Weinstein was uh, talking about the difference between gay men and lesbians. And he was saying, like, have you ever met a lesbian who had a bad relationship with a man and then became a lesbian? Like, you know, I guess I'm asking you, listener, why aren't you replying? Anyways, I have met people like that. But then he was like, have you ever met a man who had such a bad relationship with a woman that he became gay? Like, man, that woman really raked me over the coals. I'm going to become gay for the rest of my life. I never heard of such a thing, and I'm pretty darn sure it doesn't exist. So, there's something a little bit different about lesbians versus gay men. Well, that's the end of the episode. Please tell a friend about this podcast. Various links are in the description, and thanks for listening.